Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Really, Right, we've got to Pierce, who at the time of recording has come fifth in the best ever Bond actor. Is that right? Fifth? It is, yeah, yeah. Lord. I mean, Lazenby was six, but it's not really a fair. Well, no, that's whole, is it? yeah, one, one movie. One of it. That's it's, it's all fashion and timing, isn't it? I mean, Timothy Dalton, who, as we all know, we love, uh, he would have probably come fifth if we'd done this 10 years ago. Mm. If, yeah. You know, if this whole. It's just timing, and I think there's been enough of a gap now for people who were who didn't think that Dalton was right at the time to reassess him, and they're suddenly realising actually he's brilliant. And I think the same will happen with with Pierce, uh, especially his performance in in his first couple of films. Uh, and and to be honest, even in his last film, which which is my lowest ranked yeah. Bond film, yeah, yeah. I think he's not the bad part of it. No, you know, no, by, not by any means. And if you do this no. in ten years' time, Craig will come fifth, so it's all good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Full circle, job done. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, we've listeners switching off. Rather <laughs> oh, no, they've, they've gone off on a tangent. Hours. Quick, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Sure, there's something on Radio on. 4. Well, they better wait a bit longer because we won't be on to Daniel Craig just yet. So, uh, yeah, Pierce Brosnan, obviously, you know, one of the most famous stunts in the entire series is how we're introduced to him. And this is... You know, it's not it's not one of those where it's so obvious. I don't want to say it's one of the best stunts. Sorry, it is, isn't it? It really is. It's a remarkable gag on the basis of, well, firstly, it being done for real. Obviously, I mean, Wayne Michaels yeah. is actually stood there and is diving off that dam for real. They brought in because this had never been done again. 
you know, it's the Bond films and doing stuff for real and doing it, doing new stuff that's that's never been touched, but pushing the boundaries. It had never been done. On the strength of that, they needed to find out how the hell do you do it? They write it into the script. And obviously somebody had done some theory behind it. But, you know, you say, well, how do we do this? Well, they get in contact with the Oxford Bungie Company, who are the people who are responsible for the technicalities of the rope and everything else to go along with it and the tension and the science behind the whole thing. And they bring in a huge crane, uh, which will support the length of the whole thing. And, and, and then they tell Wayne that he's got, you know, you've got to not only hold your position on the way down and make it look like the absolute greatest swan dive ever but you've also at the bottom of the at the bottom of the fall when the tension kicks in you've got to do a bit of acting now acting and, and wayne's acted before he's, he's played various characters in lots of television and film they do stuff to camera all the time they are actors they are trained actors and certainly around the time when this was being made you still needed an equity card in order to appear on screen therefore you would have to prove that you could act and wayne can act but when you're having to act at 175 miles an hour <laughs> whilst firstly having all of the wind taken out of your sails and then reaching into your jacket pulling out a gun and then holding it in the aforementioned pose before disappearing just out of sight oh, yeah. from behind a rock. That is a seriously classy piece of work. So it's it's very, very good that, yeah, they remember that shot on top as he dives off the breath. <gasps> Ugh, and then off he goes. Like this, it? it does, well, you know, and, and uh, that's why he was such an excellent double because he really did look with that. Uh, he he got a blessed with uh, with great hair, Wayne. Yes, and uh, and pierced to be fair. And on the strength of that, the two of them were like peas in a pod. So on the strength of that, he stands there and he gives that position and does the dive. That other camera when it kicks in and you watch him go down, you can see him fighting. Now, he's got that updraft, and, of course, he's falling at 100-plus miles an hour, and the wind from underneath is coming up, and he's being buffeted. And if you watch it closely, you watch his arms, and they're, they're moving from side to side because he's having to physically balance himself. Being a high-fall guy, uh, which Wayne had done plenty of, you have to be aware of your body position in the air. You need to know where you are all the time so that should you need to adjust Am I in the right place to be able to hit the, the landing bed at this point? Do I need to move slightly? I need to propel my body this way. So you have to adjust as you're moving. So he's doing an awful lot. It's not just jumping off and hoping that the rope will hold. He's got to do a whole lot of stuff psychologically to make sure that physically his body's in the right position. And then to remember, and we talked about Rick Sylvester jumping off the rock in, in For Your Eyes Only, um, forgetting that he, you know, was supposed to be unconscious and let out this huge, ah, this scream to himself. Well, you know, Wayne has to try and remember, right, I've done all of this. Now I've got to get the gun out, hold that position. And then I can let, and then I'll, then I'll get taken back up again. But it's a fascinating moment and to start a movie with it as well. Yeah. You know, we, I, we found recently those, um, those deleted scenes of the early clip of that. There's moments where Bond, just before he rushes out onto the dam, people go, well, how, why is the gate opening? And, of course, there was scene shot of him being inside the little control hut there talking or uh, 
distracting the two guys that were in there and pushing the button so the gate would open so we could run across. But it doesn't matter. Luckily, they cut it out because it doesn't really make any sense to the sequence anyway. It's it's interesting because um, I think what we probably get is none of Pierce Brosnan. So Pierce Brosnan's first minute or two of being Bond on screen is actually Wayne, I assume. I assume all those shots are him. All of those shots are Wayne. The first, you see a shot of his eyes when he's firing the laser the close-up of his eyes and then his first real shot of him and his dialogue is upside down in the toilet yeah yeah well, i suppose you could technically say the first shot of timothy dalton's bond is a stuntman as he jumps out of the plane but you're not quite clear which one is him anyway no that's right but with pierce it's just funny that it's very specific you've got very quite extensive shots of the introduction of this new bond we've all been waiting for it's not actually pierce Brosnan. Yeah. definitely not him no yeah they did um, it with lazenby didn't they as well, yeah. um, and Tim to an extent. Yep, to an extent. Laser me with the eyes and the, the lighting of yeah, the cigarette yeah. and all of that sort of stuff, which was nice. And that shot that Martin Campbell does, which I just adore, which comes up over the back of Wayne, and it gives you as a viewer a real feeling oh, yeah. of height and yeah. how scary that is to do and the way he does it in one shot and Wayne jumps off it. That's actually a shot he uses in No Escape. Martin oh, right. Campbell, that exact same shot. Yeah. He does it at the end of a chase sequence where I've not seen it for 20-odd years, but uh, Ray Loretta's character, I think he reaches the end of a cliff and the camera's following him. And as he sort of stops to stop himself tumbling over, the camera swoops up and up uh, and over him okay. and literally does that exact same shot. Right. And uh, obviously Martin Campbell thought, well, that was effective. I might just uh, reuse that. Is that his signature move then, the way that... Yeah, because I think he used it again in that uh, film, which I always call Cliffhanger, but it's not Cliffhanger, it's the other one in the snow. Oh, uh, Vertical, vertical, vertical Limit. Film. Vertical Limit. I think he uses it again in Vertical Limit as well. Spielberg has the sunset moment, if, you've, uh, if you're a fan of Spielberg pictures. There's, uh, always, he, he, there's always a sunset or people in front of a sunset in... Uh, in his pictures that's his sick okay. moment and Spielberg also although I think Hitchcock had used it once before but he did a lot with that pullback and zoom yeah. shot obviously which he uses oh, yeah. Jaws and then he sure. uses in lots of his films and then it appeared everywhere in cinema after that well I mean that, through, uh, that cost you I'm just going through Hook now in my head trying to think of Spielberg's <laughs> signature sunset it's got to be one in there somewhere and the moon, it's when Tinkerbell comes at the end and the See? you believe there in fairies <laughs> I believe in fairies and then she goes, yeah. so that is quality memory, John. Well done. It's been that what we've verified, so it's correct. <laughs> we've managed to drag that. Now, there's, hopefully, there's people now going to go, really? And they'll rush off and go and check out Spielberg stuff as well. But I guarantee yeah. there is one in every one of his movies, even from Jewel oh, and, and his TV stuff as well. Uh, that's his thing. Yeah. yeah, so that opening bungee sequence, phenomenal. Yeah, and a yeah. wonderful, wonderful, wonderful way to, to, to start a Bond film. And of course, I remember then- the second time I, wa- I watched it for my, I think it was my 12th or 13th birthday with my friends. <laughs> but then I loved it so much. I know, I know. I'm so old. Well, no, some people will think I'm very old then, but I then watched it again with Math, my brother, and we were a bit late. We Because I think he wasn't 12, we tried to snuck him in. And we walked in. As we were walking in, he was literally falling down. Ah. And it was deathly silent. Quiet so <laughs> But the, wind, the noise of the wind, the Yeah. It's just. Oh. oh, again at the cinema. It's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, it was the spy you love me trick, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Cut all the sound and have natural sound, and that's yeah. the way to do it. So yeah, I do think Campbell's a great director. I'd, I'd love him to do another Bond film. Yeah, sometimes nothing well, is better than something, and that's exactly what he's done there. He's taken the. You don't want to detract from that moment on screen, that visual, by having da 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 over the yeah, top of it. You know, you just want to let Especially it as Eric Serra was doing the music. I mean, good. <laughs> We could have got there. Hey, yeah, if you've got some puns I, I, played, I, I won't but. have anything said against Eric Sarah's score. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. Um, Do you know I've actually it's grown on me in, in yeah. recent years. I hate obviously the song at the end of the film. It's just so bad. It's hilarious. <laughs> so that, that's his. 
Excuse me. <laughs> the rest of the score, I find it in places. I think it's great. In other bits that I thought were a bit quirky at the time, like they've grown on me. They're fine. But you're a big fan, yeah. are you? But I'm looking both John's novels. I've always, I've always enjoyed it. I, because I, I, I liked his stuff that he did with Big Blue, the Jean-Luc Besson stuff. I was always a big fan of. Yeah. And, and uh, what he did really, I think, was to, to do something completely different. Who does yeah. the Bond theme on Timpani? You know, that's yeah. brilliant. Why haven't that happened? It's good. It is a great good. idea. Yeah. Lots of lovely little moments with the electronics and all the other bits and pieces that really fits that kind of I yeah. I couldn't hear anybody else's music on it now. If if you tried to put something no, on it, it wouldn't work. You know? I, I, I really like it in many ways. And and I, I certainly don't think it's the worst score. I, I really don't. And what it will always be, it's different. You know, it is yeah. really different. I think what I find interesting with it is, is is that it's usually always just tarred with the electric electronic brush and i don't think that's fair there's some absolutely gorgeous string moments in it like yeah uh, yeah you know shared our, our, our lady of slim our, our lady of smolensk and, yeah. and tracks yeah. of that nature which which really do utilize the, the the theme that runs through the picture gives it that sort of suspense feel as well i think it's very clever it's very clever. I think it's because that electric music is so uh, obvious in that scene with the Ferrari with on the top. Which yeah. is, it, it is slightly odd in that scene. Very That's probably, I'm trying to remember when I've seen this film, must probably as many as 30 times. I Ooh, think. Yeah. That's probably the only time it really actually has a lot of electronic music, electronic music, but it's so obvious that it's what you kind yeah. of remember. Yeah, exactly. I did just to drop in, this is long before people had phones with cameras and all that stuff. Obviously, I was working in, in TV at that time, so I was lucky to have access to edit suite stuff that most people at home couldn't dream of. And I did do a re-edit of the GoldenEye music oh. just to insert the Bond theme at oh. the end of the pre-credit sequence, you know, when the the base explodes and the plane flies. Oh, oh, yeah. I had the theme tune come in there, just, you know, and it would just end as Tina turned the first beats of Goldeneye came oh, in. Oh, lovely. And I, sw- I swear it was, a, it was an improvement, but I know that Eric was told to keep the Bond music out of it because they were worried it was something that was seen as old hat. And then you get tomorrow never dies, and it's literally in every scene. Well, that's it. Yeah. And then, and then there's of course there's the, there's an interview with John Altman, who yeah. of course was yeah. brought in to pretty much go, John, do us a favour. Can you clean this mess up? Was, yeah. the, was the instruction that he was given? And you know he's the a tank fa- chase, though, the it? tank chase, you know, and, yeah. and a few little other bits of tiny orchestration here and there. But he didn't do anything drastically out of. Uh, uh, I've I've watched that tank chase with the original tank chase music yeah. on it, and I think it's quite fun to be fair <laughs> you know once you get into that that sarah thing you go hang on what's this this is a weird thing where's he come up with this where's all the electronics oh and then you realize afterwards no no let's get rid of that let's not use that let's <laughs> let's put this instead but i think it's great fun i've, I've always been a big fan of it but uh, i mean golden at the time was it was it just enormous you know we'd waited so long mm. for it the teaser trailer without question is the finest piece of teaser trailering Absolutely. i've ever seen in my life somebody showed me today that it's on youtube remastered it looks absolutely spectacular i watched it again this morning the teaser Fantastic. trailer is unbelievable and it's what every team yes. trailer should do it, it yes, brings it should. all the action without telling you anything of the story it's superb no. and that's Being... exactly what used to happen with the Roger films Roger used to come up in the gun barrel at the front bang and then walk towards camera and yes. then the trailer would kick in well that's exactly what Pierce does only on this occasion he says well you were expecting somebody else which is a fabulous lie you were expecting someone else I have to caveat it with the theatrical trailer is horrendous have you ever seen the theatrical trailer I don't know right the theatrical trailer goes it's got a voiceover that says it was a world where no (laughs) one (laughs) but it says 
this time Bond has met his match 006 Alec Trevelyan and it, no, it's like, it's the whole plot away in the, in the theatrical trailer you me because I didn't know that when I watched it no so. I don't think I saw that trailer I mean I saw they, they ran a lot because I was uh, 95 I was 19 then because uh, I am really old and they <laughs> ran a, the, the trailers a lot on TV but they were obviously on TV because they cost they're expensive they were they were short ones so you didn't get that and they were they were great they were probably somewhere between the teaser and a bit more of a theatrical trailer so you got a little bit more and but they were just brilliant they were just that high-paced trailers with no voiceover they were just fast cut they were absolutely brilliant uh, mm. trailers yeah that theatrical trailer sounds terrible I wonder if that was more for America because they sometimes like things spelt out a little yeah. bit more yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find it it's a lot evidently even in that pre-title sequence you think oh well that's amazing but then you've got the the motorcycle driving off the cliff haven't you well I know yeah, the I mean, mid-air bit CGI but the, the actual stunts another one well I mean all of it's done practically to a point yeah firstly I mean with the rest of the sequence itself, I mean, obviously Wayne doubles uh, Pierce throughout that entire sequence. Jim Dowdle, of course, who um, you've had on your show before, haven't you? I think Jim Dowdle. I mean, I had Jim on there. Well, of course, he's uh, he's sat on the toilet reading the paper while while Wayne oh, right. Wayne comes down. Of course, uh, Jim is the guy who arranged the whole tank chat because he's the he's the uh, the military man, so he knew people of St Petersburg. So, well, yeah, you can use the tank, but you can't use those tracks. So he then had to go off and, and source Tiger tracks, I think, or Sherman tanks or something of that nature, which are in rubber, so they could be used in order to uh, let Gary throw the tank about the, the street. So that's him in there. Gary Powell, of course, is in there with a whole bunch of other people. And it's a very small stunt team. Paul Heesman, I think, kills himself twice. You know, there's a whole <laughs> number of series where he shoots himself at the top of the stairs, falls down the stairs, off the balcony, and then falls down the stairs again. And then he's there at the back of the shot as well. So it's a very, very small team. But yeah, the motorcycle scene is split into a number of sections. Firstly, at Leavesden itself. So you've got that whole chase sequence where Bond is running after the plane. He then gets to the plane has a fight with the stunt guy who's the pilot which is Paul Herbert and then Paul Herbert is again then the motorcyclist they fall out of the plane and hit the motorcyclists which is him so he knocks himself off his own bike accordingly to that and then Eddie Kidd takes over riding the motorcycle away to the cardboard mountains in the distance and then it goes to a location shot of Mal Zuitnui who's the guy who jumps the motorcycle over the cliff chasing the plane and then there's a separate shot of BJ Worth leaping from a plane and physically being behind the aircraft and then they have a CG shot of Pierce or a studio based shot but nevertheless of Pierce getting into the plane so all of them done practically to a point to create that that one moment and still now when uh, when the plane disappears out of sight and then reappears again. And I get the little hairs on the back of my neck stem. I think oh, it's just yeah. fantastic. It's a really, really fabulous sequence. Yeah. So yeah, a great moment of as work. the plane goes, Yeah, I see. In your edit, that whole moment, and then I say just the first couple of notes of the Tina track uh, as yeah. the plane flies over. It's really fantastic. And that's just in that the few first few minutes. You think, what on earth can they throw at us after that? You know, you've had the whole nine yards in that first few moments but it's, it's spectacular I mean, we're just pausing for breath on the pausing for breath that's yeah just extraordinary before and that, that opening sequence i think in a nutshell actually to an extent sums up some of the brilliance of goldeneye because that film was was made for roughly half the budget that that true lies was made for and they were all at the time saying oh you know true lies is outdone bond 
Kanban match it, and then it had this this yeah. budget that was about half. Yeah, and yet with the incredible work of the stunt team and Derek Meddings with his special effects. Yeah, I think they they made this film look like it was a hugely budgeted film, and it's a, it was budget was about a fifth of what the Daniel Craig yeah. film were were recently. And yeah. I just think they showed you know if you've got a good script, you don't keep changing the script, you stick with it. You get brilliant people. It well, that's it. I mean, there, uh, there had been, you know, there's a format. There's there's something that that the audiences flock back to time and time again because it's safe ground. They know what they like. They want to go into the cinema and have that same adrenaline rush mm. that they normally get from a Bond film. And plus the fact they'd had a number of years off after License yeah. to Kill to sort yeah. of regroup and rework an idea and come up with something. Again, I, I think not taking anything away from Bob Simmons or Martin Grace, George Leach or uh, Paul Weston, but Simon Crane, again, had learnt from all of those, had worked for a number, a couple of them on occasion, and had got to the stage where he could, as with all coordinators and with any actor really if the performance is good it's because you've nicked something from that performance there and you've taken something from that performance there and then you've put it together and you've made it your own and that's exactly what mm. simon crane has done because he's taken a little bit of bob simmons and he's taken a little bit of martin grace and george leach mm. and he's taken a bit of paul weston who he had worked for before of course he was the bond double on the previous two of the Timothy Daltons, you know, working under under Paul Weston. So he's very familiar with the way that Paul works. And he's taken a bit of that, a bit of this. He said, right, this is what I think we can do with this. Let's try and do this for real. Let's not do this. Let's maybe try this from this angle. This is a better way to shoot it from over here. And, of course, on the strength of Goldeneye, Simon Crane became golden. You know, he was gold yeah. dust. Everything he touched turned to gold. Titanic. Mm. After you know, he got the coordinating job on Titanic. Titanic was huge, and the amount of action that was required on Titanic was phenomenal. Uh, vertical limit. We talked about that earlier on. That he was taken by by Campbell out to New Zealand. Let's go and do that. So all of these movies suddenly started arriving in his lap, yeah. purely on the basis of the work that he's put in in this particular movie. So it is a game changing moment, without question. I mean, the next bit in the film, I suppose that there, there are various action scenes, but. The tank chase we've mentioned—that's not necessarily stunts. It's more, you know, vehicles, isn't it, crashing into each other? But there's still a lot of stuntmen involved. Oh well, I mean, the, the, that whole set. The, I mean, Leavesden. Yeah, Leavesden, as we know it now, of course, Leavesden is the home of Harry Potter. But Leavesden was. This was the first movie that was filmed at Leavesden. You know, it was built for the purpose of creating a space. They couldn't use Pinewood. They couldn't use Elstree or Shepperton. They were stuck for space. I think they, they went to the um, airship sheds at Cardington, RAF Cardington. They couldn't use that for various reasons. So they found this particular location, the old Rolls-Royce factory at, uh, at Leavesden, as it was known then. Leavesden Studios as it became, but they created the whole thing they flattened the whole thing they started afresh and peter lamont really ha was miraculous in his ability to create this this working space out of almost nothing at all in a very short space of time you know to go in and say to folks well okay we we don't have there's no telephone system in here there's no there's no uh, uh, plumbing in here there's no nothing we need to create and he created all of that 
on top of creating sets and various other bits and pieces as well. It's magnificent. And it's a very uh, subdued location as well, because at the time, years later, I, I was on the Harry Potter set uh, down there, and, and uh, I stopped in the village of Leavesden, and this is before sat-navs were popular, and I was looking at my map thinking, what the hell am I? And I stopped in the village of Leavesden and asked this fellow where the film studio was, and of course he had no idea whatsoever. I said, no, no, how about the Rolls-Royce factory? He went... The what? You know, so they never even knew it was there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's over there, out of the way. But nowadays, of course, you know, millions of people flock to it the world over because uh, it's more or less in the same spot. But that space itself is uh, for that entire street scene of St. Petersburg where the police cars are getting crushed and uh, mm-hmm. people are jumping out of the way and the Perrier wagon and all of that sort of stuff, that's all done there for real. And, of course, Gary crashing through that wall. In the I've got one of those Perrier cans somewhere from the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got a few bits from the film. That's I don't know where it is. I've kicking around for ages. You'd have thought sparkling water would have cracked on by that time. Would yeah. really going to catch on with the whole sparkling water thing? Do you know what it was? They wanted they wanted Coke to sponsor it, but they weren't interested. Oh. So they ended up going to because they knew they had this scene with cans, and it was a great moment for for product placement. And you know that kind of product placement works well for me because you do get lorries. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Coke, as we know, would have probably been a very good uh, aid for. Uh, sliding tanks on tarmac uh, since yes, they spent a lot of yeah. large time spreading it about all over Matera. Just the science behind getting that mm. that tank to firstly get to a certain speed. Gary had to have, I don't know, mile and a quarter run up and then hit a ramp which was built the other side to propel him through the other side of the wall and Steve Street, who I think must take a great deal of credit here because he's the guy driving the car that has to pull out turn left and just be in foreground as Gary comes through that wall you get the timing wrong on that thing and he is done you know he's going to arrive underneath the tank at the wrong moment so the timing was spectacular of course as soon as Gary hit the floor it nearly knocked him out cold I mean he was at he was the the force of that thing as it hit the ground the tonnage of this vehicle but a remarkable thing to see and of course you know when they took it out to St. Petersburg they had to make no end of changes to it to make it work properly the Gary said himself, he said to uh, Simon to and Jim, best way to let me wo- find out how I can utilise this particular machine, let me go and play with it. Let me take it out and play with it and see if I can come up with, with something, if I can slide it around, if I can do something with it. And that's what he did. And he took it out and took it around the place and found that, ah, oh, hang on, I can, I can actually throttle and get the back end out at the same time. So he was playing with the whole tank and came up with that idea of, I think we need. I can do this. I can do this for real. In that moment where he has to do a big donut in the middle of the road, I can do it in the tank. Oh, okay. Let's see you do it. And they do fantastic, right? Let's keep that in. But that was just him playing with the idea and playing with the tank. Mm. And so to get to that stage where they took it out there, and of course the, they had tank technicians out there who looked at the tank layout because Gary had adjusted it slightly. He got all the all the dials and everything just right as he wanted it, so that there was the right pressure at the right time. And these guys looked at it when oh, this is all wrong, and they changed it all back <laughs> to its to its original. And, went, oh, and it took like two days to get it right again. That was a, a massively important moment to be able to see that tank sliding about the place. And the amount of work that Gary did in that was incredible. They had to, you couldn't, you see a lot of the time where Pierce's head is stuck out here and he's driving it because you can't drive it that way. You know, he's, he's got to be <laughs> inside it. And, and of course, there's a little, they had to cut out a tiny little, slit just in there so we can see where he's going and only then could you just see the end of the gun turret you know it was it was perspective and all this sort of stuff was very tricky it's a fantastic sequence i adore this sequence i really do i think 
it sums up Bond to me. You would only ever find someone driving a tanker in the middle of a city on a chase on a James Bond film. It would exactly. only it wouldn't happen there. In, there. in a suit. In a, <laughs> it, it, that's it. And it's the fact that it's carrying on with the normality of life, crashing through Perrier's with crowds just walking past and looking at it. Yep. You will only find that in a James Bond film. And that is one of the main reasons I love James Bond. Uh, I think what, what's so good about it is that uh, although you know you know they haven't really destroyed half of, half of uh, the city, it's it looks it looks realistic. Every shot yeah. looks like it's really happening. Yes, and you take. Um, I was on a plane and I watched. I think it was one of the Fast and Furious films, something, and it had a ridiculous chase sequence. I think it involved a submarine and a car or something. Probably oh, it, on it the ice. Also, yes, that's yeah, right. and it was it was all there was lots of shots of CGI, so and you could just tell. You know, even good CGI, quite often you can just tell it's not quite real. Or, or expensive CGI, as it's otherwise known. Yes. Doesn't yeah. matter whether it's good um, or not, it's cost a lot of money. Very good, yeah. Yeah, so it just, it, for me, it was just ridiculous. Whereas this scene, because it's done kind of for real, with a real tank and, you know, they've made real buildings of a sort, but falling down around it, lots of shots of some pieces, but it's just so well done. Every shot looks believable yeah. in what is an insane chase. It's, it's yeah. phenomenal. There's a there's it a lovely moment later out the window, doesn't it? Uh, exactly. There's yeah. a, there's a there's a lovely moment later on after the chase. You know, he's, yeah. the car's banged into the back and he's straightened his tie and off he goes. And he's now in the tank hiding on top of the bridge, watching the train. Yeah. You go, who hides in a tank? You know, only Bond. <laughs> only Bond would do that. Uh, there's a lo- and my favourite moment. Is his line, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Only Bond. Um my <laughs> favourite moment in that ho- and it's the it's those off. It's those moments again. I'm a big fan of the blink and you'll miss it moments. But there's there's a guy knocked down on the bridge by a car. Uramov says, "Use the bumper. That's what it's for." Yeah, and he starts oh, yeah. knocking people down. And on top of the bridge is a guy who is knocked down, goes up in the air, and lands in the water. It's yeah. spectacular. It's a yeah. bang moment. You go, "How the hell did he do that? That's ridiculous." And I was originally told that that was stuntman Andy Bennett, and then. A bit later on, I got talking to somebody who said, uh, one of the guys who worked on the on the picture, and said, no, 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 this was a Russian stunt guy when we were out there, because this is a location shot. And I said, okay. Uh, I said, who was he? He said, nobody really knew what his name was. I went, right. He said, but he was an old stunt guy from, you know, done lots of Russian pictures and uh, Eastern European pictures. And uh, he approached the English guys who had gone over and said, you know, you're going to need, it's going to be, there's going to be a wire. It was a wire job. So you'd roll up the car and then the wire would pull him clear of the edge of the bridge. So there was no chance of him falling on the bridge or under the wheels of the vehicle. He would definitely land in the water. So that would be the accelerant to pull him from one side to the other. They said, you know, you've got all the right pads on and he's going, I don't need pads. I'm Russian. I will do this. It's fine. Don't worry. He's going, no, no, no. You really need to take some shoulders and you, you know, you, you, there's going to be positioning. You're probably going to hit you with your shoulder here. But here, I've got some back pads. No, no, he's all right. I will be fine. Okay. Well, you know, it's your shout. And he did that. I think he must have had, he had a, he had a pelvis pad on hips. That was about it. And you see him go through the air like a bowling ball <laughs> up in the air and then bang into the water. All right. He's attached to a wire, but nevertheless, you know, anybody who gets knocked down by a car on purpose 
you're, everybody's different. This guy will wear different padding to this guy because this guy's built differently to this guy. So, but this guy says, "No, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry. It's okay. Okay." And action, and off he goes. Mac nearly threw himself into the air. But those moments, you know, you look at that and go, "That's spectacular." And I'd never seen that before. That it's going passing through shot, and this guy gets knocked down. It's fantastic. So there's a lot of that going on. And again, that's all. That's credit to Simon Crane and the team for creating this and creating these magical moments. But there's there's masses of it. I mean, the film is just loads of it. It really is. There's a throwaway stunt, which I won't mention now, but it's at the end of the film, or towards the end of the film, which I have spoken to you about, John, previously uh, a few months ago. But uh, it's a shot I love, and it's just two seconds long. It's, it's an amazing stunt, I think. But uh, well, I'll let Tom guide us through the film. No, no, I'm uh, steam ahead. Please mention it now, well, because otherwise we'll forget, won't we? Well, it's on the on the um, the, the the climactic scene with Alex Tra- Alex Trevelyan and, and Bond up on the uh, the satellite oh. thing, and Bond is running away. He's he's on the tarp on the white big metal frame of it. He's running, and I think Alex shoots, and the bullets ricochet off, and uh, yeah. Bond does a kind of fall down the stairs, but it's a sort of, he turns into a kind of somersault as he yeah. goes down yeah. and, and then just carries on. But this is on solid metal. You know, imagine just throwing <laughs> yourself head first down some stairs yeah. and rolling and landing at the bottom. I, I think it's an amazing stunt, but it's one of those stunts that you, you blink and you miss it because yeah. there's no attention drawn to it. It is. It's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating gag and is, you know, one of those moments where you look at it and go, well, surely that, that has to be, you know, they, they, they've yeah. changed the angle of the whole thing or, or, or done something with it. But um, it's it's a remarkable dive and is done for real. There's no toys about that. It's uh, it's one of those extraordinary moments where you, you just think that he's got to get from A to B and his start-off position and his landing position, there's, there's a he's at full stretch, a full dive, and then I think they catch it from the other angle as he comes back down the stairs and lands at the bottom. Uh, it's it's very very impressive. I must admit, there's there's no and again that's doing it for real. That's yeah. that's the key to all of this is is getting it done properly, being able to uh, to do it to, to the best of, of of everyone's ability. Really, I think is to uh, is to say how good these things really are. And you have those moments where you you have to you have to do it. You know, particularly in in, in pictures like this, you can't mess about with it. But it, uh, again, those throwaway moments. Um, as as they may be, but they they are essential to sidetracking people momentarily and going. Wait a second, did I really just see that? You know, was was that something that I just saw caught out the corner of my eye? And certainly, um, uh, Jamie Edgel, who's the the, the guy who who was doubling uh, Pierce, there does a remarkable job. They split it between the two of them. Jamie Edgel crops up earlier on. He's the guy on the Manticore on the boat. Uh, who yeah. Pierce attacks with the towel? He's the guy on there. Well, he also yeah. doubles uh, doubles Pierce later on. Him and Wayne split the doubling between them. From a gymnastic perspective, that's some dive, right? And then you've got to do it going downhill and on a few steps. And you you know you wear some. He's got a little what's he got like a waistcoaty type jacket on, and so, so there's room to put some padding on it and bits and pieces. I always feel very sorry for, for Tracy Eden, who is doubling Isabella during the picture she's in uh, you know uh, she's got an old cardi on all right she's got a skirt and she's got tights on so at least she can put pads on 
but she's getting chucked about left, right, and centre. She's also married to Wayne Michaels, so it's a oh. nice husband and wife duo routine <laughs> going on there. No chance in uh, choosing their own career, have they? Really? No, no, that's <laughs> it. That's the problem. We're particularly in, in situations like that. You know, we we talked about Sid Charles being knocked down on, in Fear Eyes only in, in a bikini. You know, you, we don't. Yeah. You can't hide pads nowadays. They've developed them where you can have little. You know that your your elbows and knees can be covered, but that's it. Well, luckily she's in this instance. Um, Tracy's got a bit of a cardi on, and she, at least she's wearing clothes of some shape or form. Not a, not a great deal though, and there's those explosions going on of all sorts. So she's having to dive it's a very physical role i think for isabella really it's uh, another they get more physical as time goes on there's another stunt woman who's in it who of course is eunice hutthart who uh, won yes gladiators didn't she that's right <laughs> who was, it was so famous wasn't she when it was absolutely yeah. massive gladiators the uk version this is yeah and she was just incredible on that show and then to hear that she was a stunt woman, and she was doubling at points for Xenia on top. She was in that she doubled. She doubled Xenia in the originally. The she was brought on because of her gymnastic ability yeah. and for the sauna scene, and that was it originally. So there are moments in that sauna scene where Wayne is doubling Pierce, Eunice is is doubling um, Famke, and they're in close up. You know, that scene as they walk in and she comes over and jumps up and kicks him head height. That's all her. Um, and that's, and that's all Wayne. And also that moment where, she, you know, she flips him over on the on the bench, jumps on top of him. That's all the two of them together as well. But again, that's the credit to, to the way in which it's edited and the way that how good the doubles were, mm. you know, yeah. uh, you wouldn't. You don't look at it at the time. Later on, you've got the ability to go DVD and Blu-ray and half frame, etc. You can just check it out and make sure it isn't, you know. But, and of course, you know, Eunice, being Eunice, had no, uh, uh, genuinely thought that they were taking the piss when they rang her and said, we're the <laughs> Bond uh, uh, folk and we'd very much like you to come down and, and do some stunt work for us, <laughs> whatever, and kept hanging up. She hung up, she hung up <laughs> half a dozen times before Simon Crane or somebody else had to ring up and go, look, well, don't hang up. So ring us back. Here's the number. Just, you know, do whatever need checks you need to do at your end, but we're serious. We'd like to have you. And that's how that started. And then later on, she gets used as the um, for Xenia's death scene yeah. as she's uh, uh, hoisted uh, using what was referred to years ago as a jerk harness and now now would be called a ratchet where she's fired up into the tree and uh, gives that fabulous scream on the way past yeah. so there's all of that and that fight as well there's little fight which if you remember the fight uh, between her and bond and and uh, isabella was edited uh, isabella grabs hold of her and famka says wait your turn and then headbutts yeah. her. you know that was all taken out of the edit on the t- i remember on the tv i don't think i saw it on I don't think I saw it on VHS, actually, for quite some time. So there was that fight as well, but that's why she was brought in on the basis of that. And I interviewed Eunice, oh, 20 years ago, probably now, made the mistake of doing it in um, in Liverpool uh, <laughs> at a restaurant and walked down uh, the road from the train. She met me at the train station. She'd already been mobbed. It was like Beatlemania. Um, <laughs> so she'd already been mobbed there and then met me at the station. And we walked down to the restaurant. We walked in the restaurant and the guy said, um, hello, you. How you doing, love? You know what I say? What are you in for? She says, well, I'd like to do uh, an interview with um, your man. All right. Well, I find you somewhere quiet. Hang on, love. And so they went off and found a little snug somewhere. There was just the three of us, me and, uh, and uh, Eunice and a photographer. And uh, so we, we managed to get uh, sort of half an hour, 40 minutes of 
calm before we went back up. Yeah. And uh, she said, "I'll go first, lads." Okay, yeah, no bother. And, and so she went, and we were upstairs, and we could hear, "Hey, there she is! She's over there!" <laughs> Hello, you. <laughs> of course, <laughs> you. We're, we're we're sat in there going, "Bloody hell! I hope she's all right out there." And yeah. Dave, who was the photographer, said, "She'll be able to look after herself, I imagine, <laughs> or, or possibly run yeah. away." She's very nice. Oh, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, that's true. She's fitter than the rest, I imagine. Yeah, but. Um, She's a force of nature. She is. She, it never got televised, but she actually, on the Gladiators tour, after she won it, got picked to be a gladiator. So on the actual tour, like she was one of the, I don't know what her name was, but she was a gladiator next to Jet and Lightning, but it just never right. got televised. I mean, how, how on earth does a contestant then just become a gladiator? That's unbelievable. Yeah. There's... There's got to be a great quiz question in that. What would Eunice Huttart's gladiator name be? Yes. <laughs> Let me find it for you. Kopoff or something. I don't know. It must be um, something football, Liverpool-related. Yeah, she was extraordinary. And then, of course, you know, you think that – and not for a moment am I suggesting that, you know, she got the whole thing by accident. She didn't. Obviously, they've looked at her and they've said she's the best person for the job because of ability that she had and they wanted a particular look. And that's always very important as well when you're, when you're trying to double somebody. It's all very well finding somebody who's great at doing what they do. But if they don't look like the person they're trying to double or can't be formed into that, that's going to be tricky. So she looks that way. And, of course, she's gone on to the most extraordinary things. Yeah. You know, doubling Angelina Jolie for probably most of her career. And uh, she was the stunt coordinator on the last Star Wars movie. You know, I And mean, that's how it's got oh, to that stage. She's just gone from, from, from small beginnings and bigger yeah. and bigger and better. You know, so extraordinary. Her gladiator name was Blaze. Blaze. Kopoff would have been better. Kopoff. John, you were right. Blaze. I don't know. Blaze, Blaze makes her sound like a pony. Um, <laughs> that's me favourite. Oh, is Blaze. Hello, son. I don't know. Yeah, Blaze. I've been listening. I've been well, watching the Get Back um, documentary. Oh, yeah. So just oh, hearing yes. you doing these Eunice Huffart impressions, it's just like... So, well, uh, sounds, no. she didn't appear in that, unfortunately. <laughs> Look, if you don't want me to play, George, you won't play. That, there was all of that. But I find... Um, who does... Somebody does an extraordinary impression of all four of the Beatles, and they're all slightly different sounds. Paul McCartney was always the most difficult. George was all was down here all the time, and Ringo the same. But Paul's very different. He's a very different area. Yeah. Oh, Paul. Paul's very much like Paul. that. Paul, I have to talk with my eyes when I'm doing Paul. <laughs> but uh, anyway, not taking anything away from the uh, from the Liverpool accent for a moment. And if I've offended anybody, I apologise. But it is only Tuesday, uh, so if you wait till the end of the week, I'm bound to have offended the rest of you as well. Uh, we'll do a big, a big, a big package deal, possibly, as the case goes on. You offend everyone; it's not offensive. That's it. Though. That's the point. Right <laughs> so, yeah, she's uh, uh, an extraordinary force of nature, as Eunice. I don't know. I, th- I think it's. Uh, uh, I think it's marvelous that she's she's gone from strength to strength. Uh, also, we should mention that it's uh, it's a Remy Julien picture as well. Yeah, because of that uh, DB DB five and Ferrari chase. A lot of people always wanted to know who doubled Zenia in that, and I have to say, it was a man, Christophe Vezon is the guy uh, ex rally driver who was uh, who was doing a large proportion of the doubling in that for for her and on uh, again another reme invention but the uh, the carousel the moving carousel so you have uh, a piece of equipment that moves horizontally and then spins as well so that whole moment where the car is spinning they can put the actors oh, in yeah. and do the whole shot so very clever Great piece store. of you know equipment mm-hmm. 
But uh, very exciting stuff there. So there we are. That's uh, Reme's moment in Goldeneye. I mean, we could go on about Goldeneye forever, can we? I just love it so much. <laughs> There's masses of it, but sadly, there, there are many more, many more bots. We got to get through. Yes. <laughs> Before Easter. If you're enjoying Really 007, why not follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? Look us up at Really 007 Pod. Tomorrow Never Dies. Again, that's got a heck of a lot going on, hasn't it? The, the most famous one would be the, the motorbike jump yeah. over the helicopter, probably. Now, that's that's something that well, doesn't yeah. quite get as much attention as it should, maybe. I once asked uh, Vic where he found Jean-Pierre Goy. Uh, out of all of the people in the world, and he'd got many, many uh, top motorcyclists on, uh, working as part of the stunt team. Everybody was very capable of, of riding a motorcycle. So why this guy? And he said quite quite happily, one day he got somebody to do the job, but he still had doubts. He had There was something in the back of his mind that was playing him up. Anyway, he got home one night and was stuck on the telly while he was having a bite to eat and there was a world's greatest stunts thing on one of the dusty channels at the satellite and he was watching that and it was a guy who was riding a motorcycle over the edge a bit like um you, you know the movie a bridge too far well very similar to the bridge there at arnhem don't get any ideas i'd never dream of it he was riding his motorcycle over the top steelwork of the bridge all the way over the top and right the way down the other side and the only protection he had of course he had water on one side and the other side was a small flatbed lorry with some mattresses in the back which are about 60 feet away so should he fall that way he'd have to pick his spot very carefully and he looked at this guy and went, jesus this guy's amazing and then realized that it was this guy jean-pierre goy made a phone call and said i need to get hold of this guy i don't know where he is but i need to get hold of him and within 24 hours they found him got him on a flight got him over to the uk they see he said uh, what uh, what motorcycle am i riding <laughs> vic pointed at the bmw and, and uh, jean-pierre went are you serious really <laughs> he said uh, yeah that's the bike he went oh, okay give me half an hour so, so gets on the bike and says, "Right, let me see what I can do with this thing," and then starts to get to a stage where, you know, he could, he could put that thing on the back wheel and take it for miles on the back wheel. He was already the the world wheelie champion, I think. I think he could do eight or nine miles on the back wheel on a, on a particular on a particular vehicle. So, you know, this was no issue to him whatsoever. The jump, well, the jump is, you know, a motorcycle jump is a motorcycle jump. Different motorcycles mean different positioning different power means you have to work it differently this one's supposed to have a passenger on the back which of course they didn't have for the take itself it was a dummy but the building opposite was made of cardboard boxes you know and it was filmed in such a way that that landing and he lands right in the middle and then there's a lovely scene afterwards where dicky beer the stunt arranger goes in to go and get him hook him up on wires and 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 bring him out from the boxes and that was pretty exciting they went obviously they cgi'd the um, propeller propellers of the helicopter on afterwards but nevertheless uh, a very exciting thing lots of stuff leading up to that is exciting as well because you've got all of those shots of wendy leach on the back and they're swapping positions and you know she's at the back and now she's at the front get on the back of the bike what are you trying to protect me no i need to box the bike get on the back Go! 
they've got the handcuffs on and that was the whole key to the thing is that the handcuffs are on so yeah. one of them operates the clutch and one of them's operating the accelerator they looked at this and thought look there's got to be a simpler way than because the positioning of my hands here are tricky if you're you've got your arm over here and that one over there and we can't operate the bike correctly and there are moments where you need to see the bike moving quite freely from one position to another or going through shot and you don't need to have this very awkward positioning that they've got of one hand over here she's got the clutch here and he's got the accelerator so they worked a very clever way of being able to do it where they had a shirt they had the red shirt or the blue shirt which had a red sleeve that's what they did so they changed it so those moments where you see the two of them sometimes together it's actually pierce's hands pierce has hold of the motorcycle particularly when they're going through some of the crowd of people towards the end of the sequence with the propellers the helicopters coming down and cutting up the stalls that are nearby all of that was done that way but it's a remarkable sequence it's very very good and you do you do tend to uh, somebody mentioned at the time that you know are they are they just throwing action sequences at the audience for the sake of not having much story well i don't know i think that the action sequences were good enough to let the story continue throughout absolutely you know we had to know that this character waylin was as good as this character yep. bond you know and the two of them can work together well what better way to get them in a situation where they're hanging outside of a building firstly yeah, right. and then then the motorcycle chase you know how did they do that with the banner you know the going banner was that was filmed uh, here in the uk they had uh, a building and there was um uh, mark southworth was doubling for uh, for pierce danny bernett was doubling for um waylin and as they come down the building and of course they're wired you can see in, in some of the photographs uh, some of the images when you when you see them coming down and they're doing that squealing thing as they're holding onto the thing they're, they're they've obviously got quite a quite a, an array of, of um, cabling and, and padding underneath harnesses on but that was done for real so the section the high part of it the crashing through the window and all that sort of stuff was done here but that was stunt doubles the rest of it was 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 pierce and uh, michelle we can use the banner But again, a, a very good sequence. Well, uh, one nice thing between the two, if you want to tie things up, uh, Danny Bayonet uh, was married to um, Peter Braham, who was a, a very successful stuntman and stunt coordinator, but he was Rhoda in From Russia With Love. So uh, <laughs> they managed to tie the two. Whether that was done intentionally or not, I don't know, but I, certainly Danny was a, a and still is a very fine performer and coordinator these days. So, so she managed to get herself on in the Bond franchise the way her husband had got in there as well. <laughs> Steve, you, I don't know what your thoughts on Somewhere Never Dies are. No, I, I think it, uh, when I first saw it at the cinema, I was a bit disappointed, but I, I think it's hard to follow Goldeneye because I thought that, that, that film yeah. was spectacular. But it's, it's grown on me a lot over time. And in fact, I watched it again three or four months ago and I really enjoyed it, mm. particularly because I'm a big fan of W1A. And actually, I noticed that two of the actors from W1A oh, are right. in the submarine. 
screen, which really, yeah, which really thrilled me. But I think it's a really fun Bond film that has aged very well because it's just become one of those Bond films you look back on, and actually now it's great fun. It's got good characters, good action. I don't think it's quite as uh, impressive as Goldeneye. And I don't think the characters are quite as well-rounded. But there's some great scenes. I love that fight scene, actually, in the club. And you can just see Pierce fighting the heavies in the background yeah. in a soundproof room. It's a soundproof room, Mr. Bond. Nobody hears you scream. Hey, Stamper. We have made contact. Make him uncomfortable. I'll be there in a few moments. I think that's a great sequence uh, without all happening in the background. I think you've got to try and remember it now. You've got the security guide in the foreground and he's looking in the wrong direction. You can just see this massive fight going on. Yeah, it's uh, brilliant. I think that's a great scene. You seem very concerned about Mr. Carver's business. He wants to know why. Why did I do it, you ask? Is that Rocky, wasn't it? Uh, Rocky and uh, Terry Plummer is the guy who sat there drinking the tea, and he was the guy, him and Rocky both fought um, Roger in uh, Man with the Golden Gun when they're in the uh, that room where they're looking for the um, the bullet that Saeed oh, yeah. is wearing. And there, there are those lovely comedic moments where you look up and suddenly Pierce's got a cello in his hand, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's got, pops out of nowhere. Put him into chair. Maybe we play a little number on his head. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What do I expect in return? Worldwide domination. Complete, utter, total worldwide domination. But not of a government of ideology, of a tyranny, and isolation, and Terry Richards is in there. Terry Richards was the swordsman from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, you know, they're all in there giving it 10 to the dozen. And then Rocky then crashes through the window with, with Wayne. Uh, and then, of course, there's a lovely story attached to that. He said to uh, Pierce, right, you need to pick up the ashtray and then give it over the top of Rocky's head. He said, okay. And so he goes off and he picks up and he does this thing that he didn't do in rehearsal, which was weighing it in his hand. Like, is this going to be heavy enough? He does that thing and then goes whack. And then Rocky hit the floor, right? Cut. And Rocky stayed there. And, uh, Pierce went, are you okay? He said, yeah, it's all right. I'm acting Pierce. <laughs> so, oh, all right. So yeah, fair enough. But there's, there's, there's moments there, which are terrific. You know, that's, that's old school type 
um, knockabout, yeah. comedic fun. You know, we're better to have a have a fight than in a soundproof room. Of course, the guy's not going to hear anything. He's quite happily sipping his tea, watching the <laughs> broadcast, or chaos behind him. And then you go from that to you know the uh, the Michelle Yeoh fights, which are orchestrated much faster. You know because uh, she br- she brought in Philip Kwok just on the basis that and, and nothing against the the guys the, the stunt guys here, but we don't do fights at that speed. Mm. You know the the from a fighting perspective, these are very specialized types of fights. She is able to do a great deal of it herself. Not all of it. I mean, I, I will say that you know there's a lot of people who go oh Michelle you she does all of her own fights. She doesn't do all of her. Own. She is doubled on a number of occasions during this fight in her career. To be fair, if the truth be known, but there are moments where she is doubled. Her her double is is a guy called uh, Young Tak Nigai who has doubled her on a number of occasions. That moment when she runs up the wall comes oh, yeah. over. That's him. There's a, a couple of occasions in that fight where where she's doubled just stuff that she doesn't need to do even though you know she wants to do it look she's the female jackie chan surely she can do it yeah but <laughs> the insurance company say she's not going to be able to do it you know so on the strength of that they bring philip philip kwok in and he says i've got an idea why don't we do this so that's simpler to do it that way does she do the stunts for when she goes yeah she does her own shouting most definitely uh yeah i think she's as, as shouting goes she's top draw <laughs> she really is top draw, and and does do, <laughs> and does do a lot of a lot of her own action. There's no choice about that. I mean, she is she hasn't got to to being you know Asia's greatest action female action star by being doubled every five minutes. I mean, she does do it herself. But what she does on Police Story Three, for instance, she isn't allowed to do on on uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. And of course, you know, you, you maybe she's. Concerned about getting typecast as well. That's a consideration. You don't, and as she's proved in later films, you know she's um, she's been in a number of pictures playing straight yeah. roles, and a number Which of pictures hate. being you know that link character between main story and the next part. You know, so it has it certainly worked in her favour and gave her a, a, a gave her a bigger audience to go on. No, to the modern classic Last Christmas, the yes. modern Christmas. Yeah, I, classic I saw it. it is it yes. It wasn't as dreadful as no, I would it was, say. It wasn't at all. It was. It was wasn't perfectly watchable, wasn't it? Yeah, and obviously, I love George Michael, so that helped. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, wake, waking me up before we go. Though, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if I may be so bold. In Tomorrow Never Dies, you've got the remote control car sequence is a big one, isn't it? Yeah, we mentioned him earlier, but but Steve Griffin, who was the guy who was driving the the car just in front of the tank in Goldeneye, is the guy who does all the blind driving on this. And oh. this is in the days before miniature cameras, so he is literally sat behind the driving seat on the floor of the pat- of the of the back seat so he sat there he's covered in in this black uh, cloth all over the place and he's looking through a tiny s- camera that's at his feet with steering wheels and he's got the foot controls and you know to do what he did there i thought was phenomenal there's some terrific moments and and you know look, also you know, look at Pierce's expression on his face. He's absolutely loving it in that car. He is being thrown around for real in there, you know. There are shots where the camera guy is in the passenger seat filming Pierce in the back yeah. as he's being thrown about the back seat. And he's loving it. He's absolutely loving it. Also, the the great thing about this movie is it's probably the first time where where flocks of, you know, fans the world over go and see a bloody car park. <laughs> I've been yeah. to Brent Cross on numerous occasions. <laughs> go, this is the place. This is the one. Here, look. This is the staircase. Yeah, down the stairs. Yeah, you do it. You do it because it's part of a Bond film. It's great. Huge I show. remember that that scene I did, uh, did offend me a little bit in the cinema because we talked about oh, product no. placement earlier, but it is literally 
a yeah. scene, it's three, four minutes of product placement with this ridiculous family <laughs> saloon that you'd expect a bank manager to be driving. And then you've got the Avis stuff everywhere, including Desmond Welland's <laughs> costume. Uh-oh. And then you've got the phone. Was it, is, I think it's a Nokia Eric, he's got. Clearly uh, didn't do massive. Ericsson, yeah. Ericsson, yeah. is it? Didn't do wonders, clearly, the product placement, because everyone's got an iPhone now. But um, yeah, <laughs> it was just packed in the product placement in, in that sequence. And the car's the bit that offends me the most, actually. The choice of car, this family well, saloon, you know. I, I think that they forced it. They sold a lot of the stuff, the Z3 in the That's previous it. movie, and didn't use it, you know. Mm. You know consequently, they've said, right, we've really got to put the kitchen sink in here and throw everything at the screen. So all of a sudden, in this entire chase sequence, he's used every possible means of artillery he's got in the car. He used a bigger car because they just couldn't fit. They couldn't fit a stunt driver, could they, in a Z3? I, I think like that's true. Know. You can can barely, barely fit a passenger in a Z3. I, I, I remember yeah, reading yeah. it was part part of the deal was that one of the cars that would be used would have to be a saloon as opposed to a sports car. I remember that was part of BMW's right. deal. Most partridge yeah. deal I've ever heard. <laughs> it's a partridge <laughs> deal. And I'd rather it was a Rover. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm not going to have any Metro. Not driving I'm a Not having a Metro. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a class sequence, isn't it? And is it is Rocky in that? He's is he one of yeah, the guys who's trying to get he's the guy the trying to trying to hit the windscreen with the sledgehammer. Yeah. Or he said, he said, do you know how difficult it is to swing a rubber sledgehammer? So that's one question that nobody's ever asked me before. No, I don't know. How do, he says that's acting, my friend. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. No, you, you convinced me. So you know, all of that. Is stuff. Rocky the guy? Sorry, just so when you said about like throwing, smashing his head with with the ashtrays. The hashtampa, hashtampa. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, there was there was a number of them, and they all. So can you say this line? Uh, yeah, hashtampa. Uh, we can't. No, no. Do it in a German accent. What? <laughs> do it in a German accent. Hashtampa. We cannot get into the car. <laughs> And he says, is that German? I don't know. Maybe it is. Anyway, uh, you know, for half a dozen of them tried it. And they went, oh, Rocky, you have it. So he had it. So he managed to get the uh, get the line, which is... Uh, and which and, is and that, that scene is brilliant because it's a great yeah. laugh, isn't it? With the torture scene, he's been threatened with torture. And then it's the... And I'm very embarrassed. I, uh, and you yeah, no, do this. I, I don't know what to say. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's lovely. He's, yeah. He's, you know, he really does. I would say... Good. I would say he's one of the best characters that turns up in like it's you know i don't know how long that scene is six minutes maybe if that it's five or six minutes he's brilliant absolutely brilliant you know did you try the auto club for god's sake (laughs) yes all of these questions that everybody else is asking why are you asking me you know ah feedback in his ear brilliant i mean he's a great comic turn done there and it's a great it's a great scene but he's only a professional doing a job you know (laughs) yeah yeah He's very popular with Bond fans, particularly Dr. Kaufman. Oh, certainly, yeah. This is a tale of the supernatural. The Tapes, a podcast of the uncanny. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me, host Christopher Goldie, and guests as we discuss the best in unsettling television and film. Who is this? Who is coming? Find us on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram. Search for at the tapes pod. Part of the Pod Dojo Network. Should we move on oh. to the film that John Kell has been championing ever since we've started this podcast? The Twine. Well, the Twine. Yeah. And Hook. I mean, let's not forget Hook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One day I'll start my own Hook podcast. It'll be me on my own and I'll be the only yeah. listener, but 
Oh no, I'll, I'll, I'll contribute, and you can contribute to Superman Three podcast. John has been a massive fan, and it's that again the pre-title sequence. This is it's just expected by now, and it it's just getting ridiculous. Well, it's true, but I mean the pre-title true, sequence though, was it? never Two going to be eighteen minutes long. You know, yeah, the pre-title yeah. sequence was going to end when he bails out of the mm. building. That was it. Yeah, good, but yeah. Which is fine, you know, and you've got a number of terrific moments in there when you consider that Mark Mottram is, who again was Gladiators. We, we make that connection. He was he was on Gladiators. Mark Mottram is now doubling Bond. He jumps out of the window with the briefcase, with the suitcase there in, in um, wherever it was. Where was it? It was Bilbao. Bilbao, there we are. I, haven't I nearly that. said it was in uh, Materia because obviously the bit of a copy that scene in. He does that. Of course, I'd do it, do it a couple of times, firstly on a wire, and then secondly, a free fall into a bag. His counterbalance, if you will, is Wade Eastwood, who then is the guy who drives the Q-boat with Gary Powell and then goes on to coordinate all the action on the Mission Impossible films. Ray DeHaan is one of the guys in the office as well who th- who was driving the uh, the Aston for Pierce on the ice in Die Another Day. And uh, Paul Jennings is in there as well. Uh, Paul Jennings, who uh, I don't know if you ever saw it. If you haven't seen it, you can go to my YouTube channel and find it. There is a program that Desmond Wilcox used to present. Uh, Desmond Wilcox used to be married to Esther Ransom. They had a program called The Visit, and he would follow people's journeys in life and one of those was was paul jennings who wanted to be a stuntman this is his story going from when he wanted to join the race to doing his first stunt work well he is in this sequence as well So yeah, they just you know they did that action sequence. You go, okay, fair enough, that's fine. But then all of a sudden, it goes to this ext- and, and and again, Vic had to suddenly find the criteria, which was we need to find as many visitor-driven locations along the Thames that we can add into the whole thing. Of course, the the most complicated thing was allowing the boats to fly past the Houses of Parliament. Um, yeah, they were complaining, weren't they? They were complaining of the noise. Yeah. Jack Straw said, no, it's all right. It's a Bond film. It's a Bond film. It'll be I mean, all right, said Jack. I mean, watching Prime Minister's questions, noise isn't usually uh, frowned upon there, <laughs> is it? So, and, and to be honest... The last thing, are you worried about having a boat? Yeah, it's a far more constructive white noise having a yeah. hoverboat fly past than rather somebody answering about somebody's passing through in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Of course, yeah. the boats that they were using, they, they came from New Zealand, I think, was the was originated where they came from, and they could operate in six inches of water. So the idea was to test them, and they took them down to Hawley Lake. Simon Crane was testing them down there, and they got to a stage where they were trying to barrel roll the boat onto dry land, and that was the plan. And there's footage of them with box rigs on on the shore and the boat coming up and flipping over and landing in the boxes but it's it was just it started to get a bit complicated and again Dave Bickers saved the day because Dave Bickers said do me a favour and hang the boat up by its nose from a crane here 
And so they did that. And he said, look, I can spin this with my hand. There's no weight in it. So he said, when it's airborne, you can do whatever you want with it. So the idea was then to have two pistons, one nitrogen piston firing down and one nitrogen piston firing up. And so he designed the fact that when Gary... Powell, who was driving the boat for the turnover. Also, Gary was always going to do that because when Simon said, who wants to turn the boat over? Gary was already fighting his way to the front going, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. So he had to hit the ramp and push the button at exactly the same moment so that they would fire independently, fire it. You've got to do two independent fires, both sides, to get it back onto its mm. belly again. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, a really spectacular yeah. job. Edited beautifully as well. Looks magnificent. How he catches the rope. Oh, that, well, that's that's a separate oh, gag, on. but I mean, that's um, yeah. uh, it, on its own. You know, that was done for real. That's Mark Mottram in the boat, jumping from the boat and grabbing hold of a wow. rope, which he will never hang on to because of the, the the physics behind the whole thing he's not wearing gloves he's got ha- he's just bare hands and Vic said you've got to grab that rope he said I'll grab it but I'm never going to hang on to it he said just grab the rope we'll do the rest in the edit and sure enough he goes and he dives and he's got the rope and that's when they then cut to the next shot but as soon as he grabbed that he started sliding down it because he's got no purchase on it whatsoever and the rope is slightly getting slightly damp because of the conditions and so he's only just got a moment of contact on it. Wow. Also, I think we should say something about Sarah Donahue, who was, who was responsible for driving the uh, the Sunseeker in this, purely on the basis that up and you know she she nearly died soon afterwards. Um, she was a, a professional powerboat racer and uh, was in a a horrible accident in uh, in Italy, which which nearly took her life. The the job she did on this, nobody. I mean, there and there are there are many girls on the register who can who can drive boats, but not many of them are, uh, have the same experience as Sarah. And she was brought in as a professional powerboat racer to be able to throw this sun seeker about, and she really does throw it about. I must admit that at forty and fifty miles an hour down those stretches of canal which you 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 have probably never seen anything like it in their lives so that was that she really did throw the kitchen sink at that and then joe mclaren does the other physical doubling so when the boat lands on dry land just at the dome she then runs along the top of it before it explodes and all that sort of stuff so a lot of uh, a lot of great work going on there and of course a huge sequence cut out of the picture huge moment where there was there was a, another major sequence of the car being chased down streets and uh, and an opening sequence into um terry bamba's restaurant vic's bistro or whatever they called it i forget what they called it at the time but um yeah so terry played uh, he played the part of the waiter <laughs> uh so he has uh, a little a little moustache and, and, th- and he walks up to people's tables and taking drinks and things and then then it cuts away to another piece of the chase then it cuts back to something in the restaurant then cuts away and then Gary comes in through the wall in the, in the boat so yeah extraordinary stuff going on but again as, as real as the only piece of CGI in that incidentally are the two torpedoes in the mm. water everything okay. else in that sequence is real which I think is fantastic. I'm really, really sensational. Nowadays, a great deal of that would all be you done. You can tell. In computer. You can really tell. That, but, uh, that to me is one of the reasons why Twine. So I, just, I need to stop calling it Twine. It's a horrible name. Twine is not enough. The story's brilliant. I appreciate some people saying that maybe the action, apart from this scene, is a bit stilted. But when you compare it, and I, I'm not a die another day uh, hater by any stretch, but for something that's only three years later, my word, can you tell that a lot more of this is, is <laughs> yeah. actual it's real, as opposed to CGI, and it's so much better for it. Yeah, they, they do a great deal of, you know, again, they're still doing as much real stuff as possible, the skiing stuff as well. You know, that's all, that's all mm. real. These are real 
yeah, flying yeah. machines, you know. These are real explosions in Chamonix. Stephen Dan doesn't get half as many credits as he possibly should do. Uh, but everybody knows who Rick Sylvester is. Nobody has a clue who Stephen Dan is. And yet, uh, you know, Rick doubles um, Roger skiing off the cliff in Spy Who Loved Me, and Stephen Dan doubles Pierce in this sequence. That one, there's a me- fabulous moment, which is, I think it was on a, it was on a, a DVD cover. It was on posters. It was on lots of publicity. He jumps in the air. That big explosion goes off behind him. You know, yeah, that's it. amazing. And that was yeah. all him. You know, and he's never really spoken about in the same, uh, you know, in the same way as uh, uh, Willie Bogner mm. or, or guys Johnny Eves or guys of this nature. Uh, and Francine uh, Morillon was the there was the um, the double for uh, herself in the uh, in the film you know so uh, the skiing stuff's terrific but they, I mean they had to move quite quickly there was lots of avalanches at that period but a lot of people were snowed in so it was very treacherous they managed to get as much done as they possibly could but uh, I, I think it's I think it's great fun it's a great fun movie really? I enjoy it enormously Steve I'm worried about you don't quite rate it as highly as John did it's a funny one actually because as I said when I saw Tomorrow of Dies at the cinema I was a bit disappointed following Goldeneye. And then when I saw The World Is Not Enough, I walked out thinking, wow, we're, we're almost back at Goldeneye. That was phenomenal. And then, but with time, I've switched in that I, I now prefer Tomorrow Never Dies because it's it's just fun, real fun from beginning to end. And that there's obviously more drama in The World Is Not Enough. And I do find it, it just drags a little bit in a couple of places. And I, I think they should have, I think that, I think the bad guy, what's his name? The, uh, the guy who's never... Robert Carlyle. Robert yeah. I think I don't think enough is done with him. They build him up to be this guy who doesn't feel pain, and then apart from the scene where she's rubbing ice on him, you don't really get that. The fight scene, there's nothing made of the fact no. that he doesn't feel pain. So I think that was a bit wasted. Although it was on your podcast about the world is not enough, where I did slightly reconsider that in the suggestion that it was all a deception. It was yeah. all sorry to throw the viewer off. So you're looking at him as the bad guy. So I, I can actually, if that is what they were trying to do, I take that on board and think actually, you know, that's not such a bad thing to, to distract you from her being. Um, there's, al- there's also a great deal of, of helping the audience out with story because we haven't told enough story to, to let them know where we are now. That um, that moment where the um, the doctor is there's the hologram of Renard's head. Oh. She's explaining, and he gets stronger by the day and feels no pain. This is for the audience point of view to go oh incidentally yes. in case you weren't aware we're just going to let you know that that bre- that bullet in his head makes him stronger <laughs> and he feels no pain are, are you all right with that fine yeah. okay well, then we'll move on you know it's that moment where they're just clarifying everything i think as go along there's yeah, a couple of they never really like they never really see that through do they as you expect the fight yeah. scene here yeah. where he's trying he's, he's you know effectively seems he's going to lose the fight because this guy is getting stronger feeling yeah. no pain and you don't really, really, hard, you really get that at all quite small it doesn't mean he's hard just because he can't feel yeah it. and that no, came up in your podcast too and I, again i hadn't considered yeah. the fact that he's he's a little guy especially next to pierce but now again i think perhaps perhaps that does take away some of the, the threat and that he just doesn't seem physically strong. I mean, you can be short and look strong, but he doesn't really look that either because he's quite wiry, isn't he, Robert mm-hmm. Carlyle? Well, yeah. I tell you, what, Steve, you, you tell him. I, well, <laughs> yeah. no, well, yeah. I'm going to tell him, oh, is that right? J-O-H-N just briefly defend. It's old. I don't need to defend it. We're... We're not like we're not like the Twitter universe. We were we're happy to accept everybody's uh, point of view. Oh, but and, and hey, it's not it's it's up there in my top. It's always in my top fifteen, and that's a really good yeah, place to be. Yeah, yeah. I adore. It's, yeah, so it's, I don't think it's a bad bomb film. I don't think it's a bad bomb film at all. I'm just literally saying of the Brosnan ones, it's my 
third favourite. They go in order of actually yeah. of them being shot. I mean, when you come back to the Brosnan yeah. films, I think I think one of the criticisms that they get, and I think it's incredibly unfair, is is that they're all a bit formulaic and run of the mill, and 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 I just I, I I'm sorry, I just don't agree with that in the slightest. I I think I think they have the perfect balance of putting twists on them. So every every bond every film of Brosnan's has a twist in it. So it's either 006, it's ex-friend, Paris Car is ex-lover, World is Not Enough, it's the lover actually turns out to be the main villain. There's twists that have never happened in Bond before, but there's enough of the family dying of a day, he gets tortured, I suppose, you know. Colonel Moon. (laughs) All right, Colonel Moon, okay. Um, (laughs) But but there's enough familiarity there for it to still feel like Bond. And I feel that that is, to me, the balance. Now, I'm lost. I'm just, I'm completely lost. That last film was an abomination. <laughs> Shout out to Lorenzo. Yeah. Well, but anyway, we're not up to that but, yet. We'll have to review that. No, 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 let's, let's, let's not bring the dampers yeah. down on it just yet. Before John goes, he wants to get that in, I think. <sighs> Yeah. Dunce, well, the world is not enough. Yeah, yeah. So, any more standout ones? The Caviar Factory. Caviar Factory is great fun. And again, I'd like more to have happened there. The set was huge, mm. absolutely huge, built around the tank at uh, at Pinewood. And apart from demolish the main building, and then you know uh, have the, the I mean a lot of these have the the car chopped in half and a few other bits and pieces. <laughs> I don't know. You could have done that maybe in a smaller location, a smaller yeah. set. But um, yeah. from an action point of view, I think um, the, the the stunt guys have done a, a terrific job again. And certainly, some of the you know the sliding the rope from one side, or not the rope, but he's got the wire and he hooks it over and goes from one side to the other. The fall down the stairs is uh, is very impressive because he appears to arrive at the bottom and go and then go <laughs> off, you know. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's the thing about the, the the Pierce movies. He goes through all of this action and violence and all sorts of bits and pieces. He jumps from the um, uh, from the tower into the water next to the submarine, oh, yeah. and you know, gets aboard, and he's in there, and all right, he's a bit wet, but he still looks in fairly decent nick, and that <laughs> shirt looks very clean, and that was the sort of the benchmark, really, was that clean and tidy golden, I think, you know, where doesn't matter what he does. He looks clean and tidy. You, you just um, start, I'm just made me think, I don't want to moan about this film because I do like it, but um, in that caviar scene, you're just starting to see the CGI creeping in with those blades that yeah. shoot yeah. around, and they don't look very good. And you'd think when they came to the next Brosnan film, they'd go, you know, one bit of that film looked a bit dodgy was the CGI. Let's, so do let's it again. not do so much CGI because it's clearly not our thing. And then they went and literally filmed filled the next film with terrible CGI. Well, let's go into Dine of the Day because I do agree. Hang on, I'll get my tablets. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Steve. To the... Of course, the chase on the ice, the incredible car chase and all that. Yeah. Most of that's real, and it sort of gets the, overlooked sometimes. Yeah, I think so. I think that the the the, the ice chase is magnificent. I've got to, yeah. if I, it's it's um, it's one of my two least favorite Bond films, and certainly. It's one of them quite recent. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and certainly, as far as high points are concerned, I don't find that many, but a number of the action sequences, particularly the ballet on the ice, is magnificent. It's beautifully done. It's very well filmed. I have no issue with that rotoscoping thing they do either. I think that's lovely, the um, the editing shot where it does that and zooms into the action that's going on to speed up the... the I think that's terrific. Good. The two... You know, the two drivers, Georgie Cottle, uh, who's, who's doubling Zhao, and Ray DeHaan, 
uh, are chosen because of their ability behind the wheel. Uh, the vehicles have been designed accordingly so that they aren't quite as powerful as maybe they should be. They're a V8, they go back to a V6. You know, they have to have some room at the front to put the gadgets and bits and pieces in, ease the power down, give them a bit more traction. And actually, some of the traction had to be switched off because they, they, they were so clever, these vehicles, that uh, they wouldn't do what they were supposed to do. You try and slide a car with traction control on or just take it off a touch, and the car itself then kind of corrects itself and says, no, no, no. I'm supposed to be keeping all of these wheels straight and on the ground. So they had to play about with them and come up with a plan that they could get it done. But the way it's filmed, and of course, Jim Dowdle then had to dive in and do some driving for Bond as well, because Ray, sadly, um, in the middle of, a, a, of one of these chase moments to come around this turn here, swing the back end out and then disappear out of shot, swung the back end out and disappeared into an iceberg. <laughs> um, you know, and wrecked the car. There wasn't a single piece of panelling on the car which which wasn't at 90 degree angles in some <laughs> shape or form. It was absolutely horrible. Fix it, right, take the rest of the day off. <laughs> and uh, Jim put the wig on, you know, so that was it. They're, they're brutal at some points when you get to the... You've got to get the shot done before the light goes. Right, you put the wig on. But that's, a, that's what it is. You know, it's very dangerous driving on ice, which is what they were doing. That much ice, you know, not a lot of ice, but that much ice. Uh, and they were concerned about losing the location as well. So to do what they did, I think it's a magnificent thing. You know, it is then ruined by the um, tidal wave and the surfing and all of that sort of nonsense. But, you know, take the, the items yeah. at face value. You don't have to discuss that because it wasn't a stunt. No, quite right. But the thing is, <laughs> i tell you what the other thing is for me, and because it goes, it's in two parts for me, Die Another Day is very special to me as well because I was invited down onto the set at oh, yeah, all, Aldershot, yeah. right? So... I'm thinking, this is amazing. I'm on a Bond movie. I can't believe this. You know, it's it's absolutely appalling weather. It's muddy. It's shocking. I've got waders on. My dad is a, was a, a, certainly a fisherman. And I said, I'm going to have to borrow something because it's, chances are it's going to be shocking. So I had these waders on. The mud was up to my knees. I mean, it was really very bad in places. And I said, if this is what North Korea's like, I'm never going to go, frankly. <laughs> it's bloody awful here. It really is. And watching Vic and the stunt guys filmed the sequences and watching Terry Madden create the sections and organise everybody was a fascinating part of the day. So to, to, to see all of that, to see the hovercrafts moving and to, right, you need to be here and then we'll... The hovercrafts were, were better controlled by motorcyclists. They had... A lot, all the guys who were riot, who were driving those had better control because they're, they're this type of control. You've got more idea of having to swing the back ends out. You've got to think about corners early before you get there so all of that sort of stuff then when I saw it in the cinema I was so disappointed was the problem <laughs> because I'd been there and I'd watched this scene being filmed and I couldn't hear it you know the noise I thought was extraordinary the soundtrack was had disappeared all over the place I thought it was very very complicated I think it's, it's David Arnold's most complicated score of all I think he's maybe pushing the boat out far too far on this one with playing cue, you know recording cues and then playing them backwards. Why? I don't know. <laughs> it's all a bit mad. So there's all of that going on. And so there are a number of standout moments. I think, oh, this is great. I, I, I was there. I was. I watched this happening. And then you go, oh, I don't know. There's just something just eating away at me a bit. But, you know, who would have thought a hovercraft? So that was, the, that was the thing at first. When people going, really? A chase scene and a hovercraft? Why not a hot air balloon chase? You know, those silly things. You go, you can't do that. And yet they kind of made it work. And there's no speeding up of the film. 
you know that's the actual speed they're traveling at they've just got it by having um, cameras on wires going in one direction and, and the hovercraft going in the opposite direction to create that that speed thing you know it's certainly one of the things that will stay with me forever it was, it was a wonderful day being down there and I'll never forget it I just wish it wasn't for that movie maybe it's hmm. yeah. my that's my only gripe but um, you weren't one of those waders were you in North Korea when you see the cars stuck in the mud Oh, no, I don't know where that was filmed, actually. I don't know where that was. I could, I tell you what, when they they finished for the day, right, that's it, I have done, thank you, boom, and everybody's gone. And me, and I'm stood there on my jack, not a soul anywhere, and there's cars pulling out all over the place and four-by-fours going everywhere. Anyway, this about half an hour later, this Land Rover turns up and said, you all right, mate? I said, does it look like I'm all right? I'm trying <laughs> to get back to the number one position to go, oh, oh sorry, mate, sorry, in you come. So I managed to take me back, and then I had to find my shoes. I wasn't allowed to bring my own shoes. I had to leave them there in the office uh, so that I could then <laughs> transfer them afterwards. It's a very peculiar situation. I tell you what, Aldershot was uh, was unbelievable. This uh, this demilitarized zone that they'd created, of course, it was on the um, the arm, the military base back there. It was extraordinary. They created it over a couple of days, and that's where they did all the explosions and bits and pieces. I think Pierce had done some bits down there, but majority of it was done by the doubles. But yeah, it was uh, a great day. There are some other great things happening. Oh, there are good fights in the picture mm. as well. The fencing scene, I think, is quite nice, although it's a bit long, but I, I, I like... Um, they had a guy called Ben Bellman, who was a, a stuntman, not for very long, to be fair, but he was on the register and, and was one of the doubles on that, doing the fighting there, and, and uh, a lot of... And, of course, the, the they were trained to uh, you know to, to, to do all of that uh, fencing from scratch. So there's a, there's a great deal. I don't know how much work Pierce had done in the past with fencing. Apparently he'd done some fence work before. Yeah, some, some terrific stuff going on there, I must admit. And uh, that, that fight itself, of course, bringing... We, we mentioned Rocky earlier. And there, he's in that as well. You know, He's in it again as one of the, ba- the guys in the background in the, um, in the club as, uh, okay. as, as the fencing goes on around. Primarily for safety. They bring the stunt guys in so that they can take care of the other extras that are around you know but i mean the the, the movie itself has got has got a number of uh, uh, exciting high points and it won awards you know the fight that halle berry has with miranda frost at the end won a taurus award the following year taurus is the uh, is the world stunt awards it's independent it's not it's it was uh, organized through uh, red bull financed through red bull at the time taurus foundation and they won uh, they won an award for best fight and of course amanda Foster, who doubles Halle Berry, was the, the the first black stunt performer that Britain had ever had. You know, and that was two thousand and two. Wow. Amazing. And it had nothing <laughs> up until that point at all. So uh, it's uh, another uh, another chink in the armor there. But uh, that's you know that you, you take a lot from it. I must admit, even though it's it's not regarded as uh, I suppose it, it depends how the the younger you are and the yeah. more fantastical you like you know then it's probably right up there it's uh, it's one of those movies that you can put on at the end of a of a busy day and go right I'm going to relax now I'll watch die another day you know I can't do it myself <laughs> not Steve I can't do it I've, <laughs> I've only ever seen it twice from beginning yeah, me to too. end have to watch it many times. Yes, yes, to, to, to get it. Yeah, I know, I know. I once was the cinema, and then once was when I met my wife, and she agreed foolishly to watch every Bond. She'd never seen one to watch every Bond film oh. with me, and uh, that was my story for the second time. I, I, I think it's pretty poor all the way. I think it's dreadful from the moment Halle Berry comes out of the sea and they do the feet <laughs> thing, which I literally, I can't, I have to leave the room. It, I found it so cringeworthy. Um, and it's up until then, it's been quite average. Uh, from that point onwards, I just can't watch it. I just think the film is absolutely <laughs> embarrassing. What, what's, what's always struck me, I mean, you, you're quite right. The um, it's 
It's appallingly written. Yeah. It's it's Both directed by a lunatic. <laughs> and 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 they, they've given him huge sums of money and said, go on and do what you want to do. You know, you go, what? And it just progressive and they this obsession, and we'll touch on this later probably if we ever get there. This Please obsession with you know, oh, we must have as many callbacks to as many other movies as we possibly can. Right, go. Go. Oh, for <laughs> Christ, yeah. Why? You know, why does Pierce sniff Rosa Klebb's shoe? What is the point <laughs> of that? It's little moments where you go, don't do that. Just get on with it. You know, heaven's sake. Oh dear, I don't know. If anybody, on the other hand, has ever watched a decently Tamahori movie, then please do write in. Um, yeah, but, a long uh, came a spider is is watchable <laughs> uh, to a point. <laughs> yes, it's decent. To a, but, uh, well, Morgan Freeman saves it though, doesn't he? But the edge with Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin. Oh, that's the, that's the terrific um, two-hander. Yeah, it's David a David Mamet script, isn't it as well? Yeah, maybe he'd he'd had some treatment for his lunacy by that time. Do you think? No, it was. This is probably before. before. Was it before? Uh, yeah, he, no, he, he, he hadn't lost it at that stage. Oh my it? goodness! Um, I just the, found it fascinating that he would be given the option to direct it on the basis of one independent Aust- uh, New Zealand movie that nobody had yeah. ever seen. Yeah, it, you it, know, it is. It is unusual. very odd in that respect. And yet, Barbara and Michael said, "Oh, this guy is magnificent." Okay, <laughs> show us something that he's been in that he's. I just found it fascinating. You know? yeah. He also got rid of Danny Boyle. So, oh well, you know. <laughs> That's all for part four of our look into the best stunts of the James Bond franchise. But join us for the fifth and final part, where we look at the Daniel Craig era and the future of the stunts in the world of James Bond. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.